how do I live my best life and how does that translate into success for my career? Today, I am so lucky to have Unib Khan join us. Not only is he the podcast host for Salam Nerds, but he is a very prestigious engineer who works in New York City. One of his major projects was working on the World Trade Center. He is also a TEDx speaker. He's here joining me to talk about exactly what you need to do in getting success in your life. Stay tuned. You are listening to the Career Path Angel Show, where we talk all about career, business, positive mindset, self-development, and many other fun and exciting topics with one goal in mind, to help new working professionals to fast track their careers in the corporate world. So what are we waiting for? Let's dive right in. Here is your host, Angel Mary. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Career Path Angel Show. I'm your host, Angel Mary. Today, I am so excited because we have Unib Khan joining us to talk about what we need to do to bring our authentic self forward and how to communicate that. He talks really in detail about this. But before we jump into that, I want to remind everyone that this is a podcast dedicated to talking about ways to transform your life into a complete success as it relates to your career and business. A lot of the topics I cover can cover more than just your career. It does go into ways you can implement positivity into your personal life so you can be successful in all facets of where you're going to be. Now, Unib is an electrical engineer. He went to work for Schneider Electric upon graduating, one of the most prominent engineering companies in the nation. He's actually been recognized within this organization with the Propel Leadership Award in 2016 and a teaching award in 2017. Unib's expertise has allowed him to work on high-profile projects such as the World Trade Center, also known as the Freedom Tower, in New York City, several United Nations buildings, and many other named institutions. Unib craftfully executes the work-life balance and has pack-packed to over 30 countries, most notably climbing Mount Kilimanjaro and swimming with the sharks, running with the bulls, traveling to Antarctica, and has enjoyed being an extra in a motion picture. Unib also takes time monthly to volunteer at a suicide prevention hotline. He's put together training boot camps for entry-level employees. He's hosted national pre-construction conferences. And he is a strong believer in work-life balance. And he's dedicated to sharing that message with everybody. One of his notable ways that he shared this is through his TEDx talk. Uni, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So Uni, please share with all of our listeners, how you decided to go into engineering in the first place? Well, um, I don't know. It was very uh, something that I just, you know, felt like I had to do. I don't know why I picked electrical engineering. It's one of the hardest engineering majors there out there. But um, I was always into engineering. I was a uh, little kid. I grew up in uh, Newark, New Jersey. Uh, so, you know, it was a... Uh, 
I would say underprivileged area. Uh, so we, you know, live in the uh, apartment complexes and, you know, there was a lot of danger there. It was uh, yeah, gang violence. I remember when area. I was, tough yeah, area. it's a tough area. When I was eight years old, you know, I was stabbed and what? I, yeah, I was stabbed at eight years old. It was horrible. I had to walk home with like meat hanging out from my leg. It was, oh it was really, gosh. really bad. Crazy. It, it was wild. I remember when I was like, uh, we used to go and my parents would send me to go get like eggs and milk and I would have to hide money in my underwear because we would get robbed on the way. So it was it was a traumatic experience uh, living there, you know, and I knew that like, you know, uh, education was the only way uh, out. Right? Uh, right. Education is, you know, very important in our culture. It's one of the right. things that we stress more than everything else. So, well, well, well how about telling us because the listeners don't know what your culture is. So. Yeah, so I'm Pakistani, uh, you know, born in Lahore. And uh, basically, I just uh, came here when I was uh, three years old, a little baby foblet, like just <laughs> <laughs> brand new in the world. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, you were young, and you were really just melding into the American culture. And of course, you're in a tough area. So you're feeling a lot of stress as a child, because you're really dodging a lot of unsavory characters in your area right right and then uh what happened was like i really got into comic books and i noticed that all my favorite superheroes were like scientists and engineers and all of this cool stuff so i was like you know what i i, I want to be an engineer i want to be a scientist i want to be smart uh so i went to a high school called science high and uh from there i was like you know this is what i want to do i want to go into something that's science related and when i got to college I went to NGIT and I, for some reason or another, I picked electrical engineering. I thought it was really cool. Um, I didn't know it was one of the hardest majors. I just thought, you know, it's something really cool. Like something Did you can this make come easy for you or was it something you just kind of fell into? Uh, it, it's a little bit, it, I would not say it was easy for me. I struggled. I have like, you know, ADHD. I can't concentrate. It's, it takes a lot of focus for me to do something, but, um, I had to put in the focus, right? Because, uh, you know, my dad had lost a job around 2001, which is when I started college. You know, uh, the economy had collapsed. Uh, and you know, That yeah. was a tough so, time for everybody. It really was. Period. It really was. My dad had a master's and he was selling like mattresses and stuff like that. And my mom was doing three jobs. She was like a teacher during the day, uh, doing retail at night and then a bakery on the weekends, right? Wow. So three jobs just to like put- so you really on. saw your parents- do everything they possibly could to get by at that point. Yeah, yeah, just to get me through college. So it was so important. So, I mean, also there's a lot of pressure. It was a lot of pressure on me, but it was really, really important for me to get through that. Are you the oldest? Yeah, I'm the oldest. So I got that first, you know, firstborn generation curse. Yeah, I have that too. <laughs> <laughs> and you have uh, one or two younger brothers. I have uh, two younger brothers. Okay, so you're the oldest, you're leading the way forward, you're the role model, setting the example. Right. I, I feel you because I also have a younger brother and there's just a, a ridiculous amount of pressure as an older child in a as a first generation American and in an immigrant family because my family is actually from South India. Yeah. Yeah. So you know exactly what I'm talking about. So, yeah. you know, you, you have to you have to be there and, you know, 
you couldn't do any of the stuff that all your friends were doing because you had to set a good example, right? So it it was uh it was tough. You went into electrical engineering, which yeah. you I mean, you said it was hard, and I really appreciate you telling the truth on that because some people come on and they will be like, "Oh, it came easy for me," but the no. truth is, sometimes you have to struggle to do something that you really want to do, and it 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 is a challenge, right? Yeah, it it took me an extra year. Most people finish in uh four years. I, it took me five years to finish electrical engineering, right? So I did something. What I did was I took on uh management as a a double major. And what happened was the management grades kind of evened out my engineering grades. So like that way I could pass with like, you know, Dean's List and everything. But if it was just the engineering classes by themselves, like I, I would have been like, you know, in the twos. Right. So it um, it, it worked out for me because I, I was strategic about it. It was Listen, all about having the right plan. I just saw a post from a NASA scientist who said he struggled in his science core courses. He was barely passing, yeah. he failed a course and had to retake and he's a NASA scientist now. So that tells you right there, everybody has to struggle sometimes to get through. And you know what's really funny? Uh, Daisy parents are always like, you know, if you don't pass within four years, people are going to talk. I've never heard anybody in my entire life ask me, did it take you four years or five years to graduate? <laughs> Nobody cares. Nobody gives a damn. <laughs> yeah. And you also double major. So you had a really good reason, right? Yeah. yeah. But that's brilliant. And so did you feel like it was easy getting into engineering when you started working? So uh, that's the thing, right? Uh, a lot of it is... Uh, hard work and a lot of it is luck but luck only finds you if you're working hard right is how I it's what I think right if you're knocking on every door one of them is going to answer so this was my first job right out of college and it's really funny because I actually lost a job that I really wanted uh and this job was way better so what happened was one of my cousin uh actually you know uh our uh, Frina who is uh Umer Umer's oldest sister was getting married right. so I had a job interview kind of lined up which I missed because I went to her wedding in Pakistan so I lost that job but I got this job and this was such a better opportunity for me so it's like when one door closes the other one opens right so sometimes the things that you think you really want or you really desire isn't really right for you maybe something better is right around the corner yeah, you know, there's this saying in in our culture, like what is meant for you will never miss you, right? So I I really do feel like that sometimes. Uh so it was it was really cool. So I got this job right out of college. I'm an engineer. I finally start making some money. I'm gonna use all my money to help my family, get them out of Newark and you know, uh pay for my brother's college, pray for uh my parents to get a house. You know, spent all my money on that. I didn't go out and get a nice apartment in Manhattan. I didn't go out and party every night. Um, I spent all my money, you know, just trying to help my family. That's wonderful. And that's very humbling because, well, first of all, you came from a really tough background. You lived in an area of New Jersey. If people are not familiar with this, who are listening uh, internationally, uh, uh, Newark is not an area that you really want to stay in. It's it, and it may be changing a little bit now, but back in the early 2000s and in the 90s and even into the 2010s, I feel like it it's still a tough place to be. Yeah. And you definitely did the right thing trying to pull your family out of that environment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, safety is is something that's like very very important, right? So right. And your family, uh they were really supportive and proud of you, I'm sure, being an engineer. 
But did you feel like you had any, had any struggles being in, in engineering? So I actually did. Like, even when I got to engineering, um, you know, I, I feel like in our culture, uh, I'm Pakistani, so we're always taught to, like, put your head down and do work and you'll be fine, right? Uh, don't ruffle any feathers. You know, don't talk back. Just show respect. Um, but that's not the way it works, right? I was actually struggling in my uh, as an engineer because, like, I just couldn't get ahead. Uh, in anything that I was doing, like I was a good engineer, but like everything I was doing, I was like not getting the recognition that I deserved. And I didn't right. know why I wasn't getting the recognition I, I deserve. Um, because you were doing what our culture really dictates. And this is the difference between uh, the American culture and work ethic and the maybe the Desi style work ethic. When yeah. you're, I guess, doing any type of self-promotion in our culture, it's showing that you're not modest and right. you're not being an upstanding citizen, I guess, in the community by bragging about who you are. And that's a yes. very hard thing to come over. I mean, even for me, that was something that I had to work hard at. I got better at it, building my own story, but it's really a challenge. They talk about the elevator pitch. They talk about who you mm -hmm. really are. People need to know who you are, right? So how did you get that across? How did you do that? It's, it's really interesting because um, you, when you say that our culture doesn't like that, we have this thing in our culture called nazar, which is like the evil eye. So right. we don't like to humbly brag or stuff like that about ourselves because we're always thinking that someone is going to tear us down, right? But we don't know that we have to be our own biggest cheerleader at sometimes. So for me, uh, Unfortunately, it took something uh, very traumatic for me to change, right? So I had this buddy in college, his name was Chad, and he was basically just full of life, just just someone who was just like always doing these wild things. And once we graduated, he was always telling me like, I need, let's go do this. Let's do that. Let's do a marathon. Let's run a 50 mile bike ride. Let's climb Kilimanjaro. Let's do this. Let's do that. And I'd always say, yeah, yeah, we'll do it. We'll do it. Sure. And I'd always like bail on him. Right. Cause like my job was super important. Um, and, and unfortunately, um, one time he asked me to go on this like big hike with him and I really wanted to go, but I couldn't do it. Um, but I was like, you know what? I'm going to make this an effort. I'm going to go and I'm going to try to make up, make this hike. So we okay. went on this hike um, and I couldn't do it. Like, I like, I think it was a three day hike. I was like, I don't know why you're taking well, me on a three day three hike. Days. That's yeah. kind of intense for a first time. Hike. Yeah. So he really wanted to do it. It was like something he wanted to do his bucket list. He was like, we have to do this before we die. He's like, one day I'm, you're going to get so good at hiking that I'm, you're going to be able to climb Kilimanjaro. So he was like, don't worry about it. So we went home, we left and he wanted us to try again. Um, Unfortunately, two weeks after that, he was in a motorcycle accident and he passed oh, away. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Take yeah, it, it was it was very hard for me uh, to to deal with that. I had a lot of grief. I had a lot of guilt because I felt like me canceling on him all the time kept him from doing all the things he wanted to do in his life. Right? Oh, he wow. he always wanted to do them with me and some of our other friends. And because like we're all busy with the rat race and work, like we didn't get to do that. And because of that, my friend didn't get to live his best life. Um, so, you know, I was really depressed. Uh, I had already a lot of anxiety from the traumatic life that I had, uh, before college. Now I had depression, uh, cause I felt really guilty about my friend's death. Right. Even though like I wasn't there, I just felt like I didn't feel guilty about his death, but I felt guilty about like not him really not living there, his fullest life. Right. Not being there for him in the yeah. time that he wanted you to be there. Yeah, exactly. Um, so 
with the help of my counselor, I came up with something called uh, the Chad list. I just made a list of things that Chad would have wanted me to do. Okay. And as I was doing them, I learned that like, you know, they were actually affecting my career. Like really? things that I was doing in my personal life were affecting my my work life. And I didn't understand why this was happening, right? So I started doing more and more of these things. And then I started putting them in categories. And I was right. like, each category has its own benefit. And it was really, really interesting how it was like the butterfly effect, right? Like you do one thing and that causes something else to happen and that causes something else to happen. And then before you know it, like you have this huge opportunity. Right. And and one of the opportunities that I was, well, the, one of the first times I even heard about you from our our mutual, the person we know, Farina, was when you did a TEDx speaking event. And wow, I mean, I was floored because this was years ago when I first saw this. And I watched your TEDx event and I, I heard your story about what happened with Chad at that time. And the way you talked about how much it impacted your life. I mean, really share that now with the listeners. What? How does? How did that impact you in terms of going through this list? And what was on the list? Yeah, I, I mean, I'll, I'll share that with you. And, and it's really weird how I even got to do a TEDx because uh, one of the things on my list was, uh, you know, I have these categories and one of the categories is you every year you got to do something that you fear, right? Uh, anxiety is basically your... Um, fight, flight, freeze response that you have, right? And you want to be able to kind of kind of conquer that. So every year I do something that is really, really scary. One of them was public speaking. So I wrote a poem, a poem about Chad and his death and how I was dealing with it. Um, and I went to an open mic night. It was a, it was called Muslim Writers Collective. And it was a bunch of Muslim poem uh, writers and poets and stuff like that. And my first time ever writing a poem. I wrote a poem. I I shared it with everybody. Best poem of the night. It won. And there was a wow. uh, yeah, there was a lady from a newspaper there uh, for the New York Daily Beast, and she wrote an entire paper on me. She did like a story on me and my my poem. Wow. Um, yeah. And then you know I thanked her and we kept in touch. Two years later, she goes, "Hey, my friend is in charge of TEDx at NYU. Somebody just dropped out." I told her about your story. Why don't you fill in? Completely Whoa. random, out of the blue. Somebody Two years later. Yeah. And so you were is... still on her mind. I was still, uh, yeah. So like, it's just crazy how like one opportunity leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. And I got to do this TED, TED talk. And, and how was that? Because that's now, this is another public speaking event for you. Yeah, yeah. And they were so wonderful. They like taught me how to do one. They went through my speech. They gave me a little bit of like, hey, you need to take this out. You need to cut this down. They were amazing. Uh, and it was at NYU, which is like a great school. And it was so many people there. And yeah, it was in front brilliant. of their entire freshman class. The entire freshman class got to hear me speak. Um, that's incredible. It was really, really cool. Yeah, and... that's that's so amazing. What an amazing story. Uh, really, what you just shared with the listeners is about you You just don't know who is inspired by you when yeah. you are talking or when you are engaging with others. Your actions or I mean, really what you did and, and I, I we, ha we haven't listened or heard the poem, but I imagine just the way you told the story about how you were impacted by the loss of your dear friend, Chad. That is something that really resonates with everyone. We're mere mortal. We're not all going to yeah. be here 
forever and our relationships really matter and mean so much and yeah. right and right now you're telling me that your connection just simply going there you weren't going looking for a TEDx event you no. went there just to share your feelings and your emotions and how this impacted your life and that one thing led to another you got an article out of it you mm. were featured and then this person found you a, an actual event that's incredible what an amazing story it is. So you never know where the opportunity will come, right? Like it, the opportunity will never come to you when you're at home in bed. You got to go out there and put yourself out there and the universe will come find you, right? And I, do I really you feel do like that. with engineering early in your career, you weren't doing that, right? You were no. just working. What were you doing? Like yeah. what, what changed? So, so here's the thing, right? As I was doing all of these things, I was gaining confidence in myself and my leadership skills, right? Uh, people think that like to get confidence in work, you just like take a class or an MBA class and you learn all this stuff. That's not how it works. Life actually works more like a video game. Like, I don't know if you ever played a video game, but what you do is you don't go and fight the boss right in the beginning, right? You have to collect the right tools and the right weapons and get experience points. That's how life is like, you know, you go out there in the world and experience the world. You gain the experience points, you gain the tools, you gain the skills, and then you come and you bring that back to the workplace and you have the confidence to manage people. You have the confidence to speak in public. You have the confidence to let people understand what you're saying and how to articulate it. You don't get these things on the job. You get them in life. And right. people think it's the other way around. Right. That's such a really poignant thing that you're saying here, that your confidence isn't really from just doing your work and delivering excellent work deliverables. It's doing something outside of work that makes you more interesting. It makes you more knowledgeable about who you are as a person, right? Yeah. And it's funny that you said interesting because something that people don't know about uh, when you're applying for a job, when you're interviewing places, there's something that people do subconsciously and it's called the airport test. I don't know if you ever heard of the airport test. Have you? I haven't. So the airport test is, you know, after you interview this person, you have to ask yourself, would I want to be stuck at an airport with this guy? Would I be okay being stuck in an airport for six hours with this person? And if the answer is yes, that's the final decision to to hire that person, right? They have the skills, but if there's somebody that, because you're going to spend a lot of time with your coworkers, you spend a lot of more time with your coworkers than you spend with your own family sometimes, right? Yes. So 100%. you want someone to get along with. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think I was doing that when I was hiring people without realizing it was called an airport test, but I think it's brilliant what you're saying because anyone can do the job, but can you right. get along yeah. with the person? Yeah, you know, because like you're... Uh, state of mind is important and you want to, you don't want to come into a toxic work environment. Culture is important. People, attitudes are important. Uh, there's a thing called humble, hungry, and smart, right? They can be smart, they can be hungry, but if they aren't humble, then they could ruin a a work experience. They could, yes. they can make the entire workplace toxic. Yes, uh, I, I completely agree with you. I think, and that one person can really spread that negativity really quickly and spoil the entire morale of the team. And that's yeah. why what you're saying is true. You don't want to be stuck with somebody in an airport who could be negative the entire time mm -hmm. or have nothing to offer and no yeah. value to offer, right? Because your experiences, for example, one experience in particular I want to ask you about is your trip to Tanzania. Can you yeah. talk about that? Oh man, that one that one is pretty wild. So let me. So one of the things that like 
is part of my chat list is is travel. I think traveling is very important, and it's something that when you travel, you learn like these common sense skills, like you know, using a map or like not going into dangerous places. Like people understand. Common sense is a skill you need to practice because if you don't, you actually lose your common sense sometimes, right? <laughs> so it's, it's really That's interesting. That's why they say there's book smarts and street smarts. Yeah, yeah. So nothing makes you more street smart than navigating a city in a language that you don't know, right? Um, and just crazy things that come out of it, right? Like before I get to Tanzania, I want to say like I did go to Antarctica and wow. that was an experience because um, you know how I said like the butterfly effect? One time my salesperson at my job was talking to a client about Antarctica. And what happened was he was like, oh, one of my co-workers went to Antarctica. He was like, really? So he was like, hey, would he be interested in coming to my kid's class and talking about it? So I went to this guy's cl uh, kid's class, talked about Antarctica. Teachers loved it. He loved it. He was so happy that he gave us a, 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 a bid. He gave us a job. It was a wow. $15 job that he got because I did this one favor. Holy smokes, that's incredible. Who yeah. would think that volunteering at someone's child's school would lead to an entire opportunity in your career? Yeah, it's complete like the butterfly effect, right? And then, um, and the thing is like, once I did the entire chat list, the final thing that I had to do on the chat list was climb Kilimanjaro because that was the one thing he told me he wanted to do before he died. So Chad I was like, do this. so I was like, I have to climb Kilimanjaro. I have to do this, right? Um. In so, an homage for Chad. Yes, I was gonna go. I was gonna take his backpack, and I was gonna go there, and I was gonna do it in his honor. So I was really excited, right? I paid for the trip. Uh, there were the few people coming with me. Uh, expert. Do you practice? People. Do you practice just like the video game? Yeah. So I I would like grab my backpack, and then I would go on a treadmill with the uh, uh, incline up all the way with boots on, and I just like hike all the time. But here's what happened. Four weeks before going, I was playing football with some buddies and I broke my shoulder. I had a grade oh. three separation, like a really, really bad separation. Oh, my gosh. And yeah. what happened then? So I'm like crying and I'm like, oh, my God, I am not going to be able to do this hike. I paid so much money. I'm more worried about the money because I'm brown, so I'm cheap. I'm like, oh, <laughs> no, I spent all this money. <laughs> That's why you need travel insurance. <laughs> I know. I know. And then like, uh, so... I was like, you know what? Were you in a cast and everything? Yeah, I was in a sling and everything. I was in a complete sling. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to do it. Uh, my friends were really upset because I planned the entire trip and I wasn't going to go. And they were like, what the hell? You planned everything. And like, I was like, listen, what am I going to do? So I talked to the doctor and the doctor says, listen, I can't tell you not to go, but there's no way you can put any weight on that shoulder. And I was like, fine. So I, I took apart my backpack and I put it back together in a way where it's like all the weight is distributed to my hips and not my shoulders and is only like one strap. So oh I was God. like, you well, know this what? This is where coming at, becoming an engineer really comes in handy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like structural stresses and stuff like that. I, I was like, all right, I got I can figure this out. So I, I made a backpack and I was like, all right. Then I like, you know what? I will go to I already paid for the tip. Uh, I already paid for everything. I'm going to go there and I'm going to ask them if they can switch my Tanzania um, Kilimanjaro trip with a safari trip. Maybe I'll just go to safari instead. Watch some animals. I get there and the guy's like, no, no trade. <laughs> you have to do this. <laughs> I was like, ah, all right. So like there's the danger of doing this with a broken shoulder, but then there's the danger of like being brown and like not getting your money's worth. <laughs> And also, I mean, look, you were practicing, so you were already 
fit enough. It was really yeah. just your shoulder at this point. Just which, really my shoulder. Honestly, I don't know how you were able to do this because I, I think that would have been enough for me to be like, okay, my, my shoulder's busted. I'm not going to probably go through with this. So, so you- here's the funny thing, right? Like, so every day, I think it was like a, it was about to, it was an eight hour hike. It took me 10 hours or 11 hours sometimes. So I was three hours behind the entire group. So like they would all be like cleaned up, ready for dinner. And I would just be getting there. I was three hours behind everyone every single day. And it's a seven day hike. And you were be and you were alone when you were doing it. Being so the, there is a Sherpa with me, so he's making sure that I'm not alone. So they okay. have like three Sherpas: one in the b- beginning, one in the middle, one at the end, right? Okay. So I'm with the guy at the end. Uh, so he's with me the whole time, so I'm not in like crazy danger, but like I'm still like in pain. I'm on painkillers, still going through this. I'm super, super slow. Right. On the last day of the hike, everyone got altitude sickness except for me. I'm really? the on- I'm the only one that made it to the top. Nobody else made it. What? Yeah. How is that even possible? Because they got up there too fast and they didn't acclimate to the altitude. Oh, and and just just so the listeners understand how high this is, the elevation of Mount Kilimanjaro is 19,341 feet. Yeah. The highest elevation mountain that I climbed was Mount Beacon, which was like something in the neighborhood of like 1,400 feet. That's like, (laughs) that's almost... 20 times you're talking about almost it's, it's a lot it, it was it was wild and like i'm the only one that made it to the top and there was uh which is like great because like you know you know how they're saying the slow and steady wins the race like yeah. this, this is like an actual real life version of that which right is the tortoise and the hair story you were yeah. the tortoise where it was I like, was oh, so he's coming so slow up the back we're already eating dinner and, and they couldn't even make it to the top because you were doing it slow and steady yeah, exactly. So the way it works on the last day, you leave at midnight and then you finish around 6 a.m. when the sun comes up and then you come back down. You see the sun sets, uh, you see the sunrise at the top of Kilimanjaro above the clouds. It's beautiful, amazing, uh, breathtaking, right? Uh, but all these people got altitude sickness and one guy who was with them, he forgot his sunglasses because like you, he was like, oh, if that, we're leaving at night, I don't need my sunglasses. So he was he got altitude sickness. And when you get altitude sickness, you literally get paralyzed. Like your legs don't move. Really? Like you literally cannot move. And we so you're stuck in place wherever you stuck are. Stuck in place. So we had to like carry him a few steps, carry him back, carry him stuff. But we had to give him his sunglasses. Uh, the, the Sherpa gave this kid his sunglasses so that he wouldn't get snow blindness okay. because what happens is if the sun reflects off the snow and hits your eyes, it can cause something called snow blindness. Really? That's yeah. I've never even heard of that before. Yeah. That's crazy. So on the way back, I get to the top, I take my pictures, I come back and the one guy is still there and he's like, you know, they're, they're trying to take him back down and he can't move. And the Sherpa's like, you have to go get help. And I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, I'm blind. I can't see. <gasps> Get out. Yeah. So oh, the Sherpa no. just went blind. He couldn't see. And I had to go down like this whole mountain of snow and get help. It was just the three of us. Wait, time out. Is he blind forever or is it like a temporary blindness? I think it's a temporary blindness. It's not not a full time blindness. Okay. It's a temporary blindness. <laughs> okay. But he was like, Yeah, I can't see right now. Uh I, like I have snow blindness. Oh my god. I was like, oh shit. But no one taught me how to go down a mountain. So like I'm like tumbling the whole time to try to get there. And I have a broken shoulder and I'm just like 
crying. I'm like, how am I going to get down? Like, and then what I realized is that you don't just like walk down a mountain. You go sideways because you have more surface area on the side of your feet. Right, right. So finally, right. I get down and I see somebody and I flag them. And I was like, we need help. We need help. And then finally, this guy calls the radio and then he calls them up and then they uh, get a few people and they get a stretcher. They go up and grab them. Uh, they both come down with stretchers and then they they fly them to to wherever they had to go. And that's how I climbed Kilimanjaro and you know, save my friends. That's amazing. <laughs> what an incredible story. I am really impressed with how you were able to do this with a broken shoulder. With a broken shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad you had your sunglasses. Because yeah, I know, right? Imagine if you were all blind. Like, I know, when you know. were telling the story, you said, oh, he left his sunglasses up. And I'm like, well, just I'm thinking in my head, just leave it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cares, but obviously you really need that. But yeah. that's so, what an amazing story. So Really, I mean, the question of this uh, whole podcast episode is, how did opportunities find you by being your authentic self? And I think you answered that already, but how about you summarize that right now the way you would like? I think you just have to let opportunity find you in, in some of these like weird situations. You don't know where it'll find you. Like I went viral on on TikTok uh, over the dumbest thing the dumbest thing like basically <laughs> what was it all right so basically look it's covid we're all struggling we're all depressed and we have no friends and we can't see any of our buddies so like i'm like listen i miss my friends what am i going to do so i start recording myself watching tv like i'll watch a scene and then like just react to it or laugh to it or giggle to it whatever right so uh -huh. i'm watching the scene from real housewives of salt lake city and this lady just says like converts to Islam and she goes, Assalamu alaikum, bitches. And I thought it was the most hysterical thing in the world. And like I recorded myself watching it and I just started cracking up. And then I posted it online. And all of a sudden I got 80,000 followers of that. Wow. That, that video <laughs> went like it, it got 12 million views. That's wow. And that's you just laughing at it's watching me a show. Laughing at a show. So people just liked watching me watch shows and reacting to them so i just started doing that and then i'm like you know what let me let me start doing this a little more refined so i started a podcast and my podcast is called salam nerds and it's just me and my co-host we're both muslims and what we do is you know we watch media through a lens that you know um basically favors and highlights uh multicultural and multi-ethnic backgrounds and, you know, uh, perceptions, basically. You know, we talk about media representation, being Muslim, being Pakistanis. And then when we have other shows, we make sure that we get the appropriate people to talk about them, right? We, if something like Everything All at Once, Everything Everywhere All at Once, the movie came out, we wanted to make sure we had an, uh, someone who's Asian on the show to talk about it. You know, That's when brilliant. somebody, when we did Wakanda Forever, we want to make sure we have Black people on the show. We want to make sure the appropriate people have a voice. You're in keeping diversity in the mix. That's something that's been missing for a long time. That's really coming up. And I love that. I love that you thought of this. I mean, obviously it came from a TikTok that, showed you that there is a demographic out there craving it. Yeah. And it was really, really interesting. And then, you know, uh, we got really lucky because we were the only Muslim podcast that was talking about uh, Marvel, Star Wars and all these like TV shows. And then this little show came around called Miss Marvel. And we were like, I wait loved a second. Miss Marvel. I yeah. Loved it. 
And we were the only Pakistani podcast that is about nerd culture. Uh, so, you know, the comic cons and the, and the superheroes. So we were like, dude, let's try to get some of these people on the show. And like, it worked. We got the cast of Miss Marvel on the show. We got invited to the red carpet. It was really cool. The, their official Twitter uh, tweeted us. Uh, the creator tweeted us. Um, it was really cool. And then we got to do a, a nationwide commercial for Miss Marvel. So like one opportunity just keeps leading to another, to another, to another. And you just got to go out there and make these little steps because they snowball into these huge opportunities. You yes. just got to be at the right place at the right time. But if you're nowhere to be found, then opportunity cannot find you. Yes. Listen, I... First of all, everything you t talked about today was really honing who you are, really bringing forward your true essence to the forefront. And I think what didn't doesn't work or didn't work for you and doesn't work for many people is just putting your head down and working and yeah. not showcasing your true self. And I really appreciate you taking this time to share how you took something that was really heartbreak and you turned it into a beautiful thing in your life where you keep inspiring and you keep changing um reinventing yourself and that's a wonderful way to live that's the way we should all be living and i i just want to thank you so much Unib, for coming on and sharing this and inspiring all of us to be living our best life yeah i know i appreciate it thank you for giving me the platform and i i love sharing this story because it helps me keep a piece of chat alive the more people that know about him the better uh you know, the better I feel uh, about it and, you know, it makes me miss him a little bit less. But, you know, it's one of those things I do feel like when the world loses a good person is up to the rest of us to pick up the slack. And that's all I'm really trying to do. Right. Pick up the slack that he's left. Well, you're definitely keeping a, his legacy alive in all of the actions you've been doing. And I just feel like everything you've been telling the listener about being their true authentic self. I think that really resonates to everyone. And I just want to thank you once more. And with that, we're going to be ending the show. Anyone who's listening, this is going to be one of the final episodes of the season. And we're going to be starting again in March. Thank you so much, Unim. And everyone take care. Bye. Bye. If you already haven't done so, please hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any of the new episodes coming up. Thank you for tuning into the Career Path Angel Show with Angel Mary. Something you want to hear Angel talk about on the show? Contact Angel through Instagram or TikTok to let her know. Hit subscribe to make sure you never miss an episode and be sure to share it with your friends. Till next time, stay confident, stay positive, and never give up.